Well, good morning. Good morning. So glad you're with us. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. Um, Kyle, they say um, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, and he just decided to dress like me today. If you didn't get the memo, it was supposed to be khakis and uh, navy blue polo today. So a couple things really quickly as we get going. Um, next week we kick off our third trimester of groups. Um, here on the screen behind me is a QR code. Go to that next one there. Um, you can sign that or scan that and get signed up for a group. There are also um, the menu thingies are in your pew. I, there's got to be a better word for that than menu thingies. Um, they are in the pew and there are also sign up cards there as well. We would love for you to be connected and be in a group. The uh, second thing, we're going to do something a little different as we end today um, that we've never tried here before. We are going to have a fire drill. And so um, I know that sounds really funny in a church, um, but if you're an introvert, this is going to be your favorite Sunday ever when we dismiss. You're not going to have to talk to anyone. It's going to be awesome. Um, So I'll give you more instructions for that at the end. I was trying to think of the best way to kind of help you get excited about that. So um, since we don't have classes this morning, we wanted to use that time to kind of talk a little bit about safety because we do have a plan. And so I just encourage you to stay put um, at the end of our service this morning. We're just going to take a few more minutes, um, and I would love for you to be here. Next week, we're going to start a brand new series um, that's going to carry us through the fall um, called Exiles. It's from the book of First Peter. And so I want to encourage you to be here for that. So um, this is week four of our series, Washed. And if you're just joining us, we have been walking through um, the idea of baptism, but actually looking at Old Testament narratives that kind of help us see this as a much bigger picture in the story of God. That there is this theme throughout the, the Scriptures, through the water, into new life. That begins in the very beginning of this story and runs throughout Scripture. But as we start this morning, has there ever been a day, a time that did not go the way you had imagined it would go? Um, For me, being in in youth ministry, student ministry for 10 years, um, we got to go to summer camp every summer taking a group of kids. Most of the time we went to Colorado. Um, but one summer I was kind of tired of Colorado, the rates were going up, and I said, we're going to change it up. I found this amazing camp in Florida on the Gulf Coast. And I thought, well, we're going to try to do summer camp at the beach. Um, So we decided there's where we're going to go. And as I said, every summer when we went to summer camp, everything always went flawless. I'm telling you, in, in the years that we went, everything went incredibly smoothly. We did not ever have really issues or things that popped up until 2011. So 2011, we set out and we had, I think, three vans and a couple SUVs. We're headed to Florida. Um, Leaving from Cleburne, by the time we hit Dallas, I'd gotten a phone call that one of our vans, the air conditioner had gone out. So it's July in Texas, It's a Sunday morning, leaving for camp, and we have no AC, which creates a problem because as you can imagine, most car places are not open on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. 
And so we decided, okay, we're going to have to figure something out because we cannot have kids traveling um, nine hours across the country with no AC um, in the south. It's probably pretty dangerous. And so we stopped. There was a van rental place, and we ended up leaving the van there at the van rental place, um, taking a rental van when they finally opened about 9.30 or 10 a.m. and leaving. So we're already a little bit behind. By the time we got about to Longview, I received a phone call from a parent, and their kid had gotten in trouble the week before and could not go to camp with us. And now he was suicidal, and he had run away from home, and they did not know where he was. And so we're stopping for gas, and I'm on the phone, and I'm trying to get connected with this kid, trying to talk to his parents and trying to help out with the situation, and nothing is going the way it was supposed to go. And things kind of picked up after that. They found him, and things were going okay, and we're driving. And about the time we hit um, Jackson, Mississippi, probably about an hour on this side of Jackson, Mississippi, we got stuck in a thunderstorm. This wasn't a typical thunderstorm. This was a torrential downpour like you have never seen before. One of those downpours where you have to slow down to like 10 miles an hour on the interstate because you cannot see more than 15, 20 feet in front of you. And so it is absolutely pouring on us. Like I said, we're way behind schedule by several hours. And so this slows us down even more. So we get to Jackson, and finally the rain is starting to lighten, and we're going to a CC's pizza that I had found because it was the quickest, cheapest, easiest way to feed a whole lot of kids, only to arrive there and find out that Apple Maps had not updated, and this CC's was now closed. And so we found the, the new place, which was another 30 minutes further away, but I already had this plan, we're going to go to CC's, so we're going to go to CC's, and I'm not giving up on this. So we get to CC's, it's probably about 7.30 at night. We were supposed to stop at CC's around, I don't know where, it, it wasn't even Jackson, I don't guess, that we were supposed to stop. So we get there and things are going and there's this kid who's like, hey, I don't, I don't feel good, named Ethan, I don't feel good. Like, well, you've got to eat something, we've been traveling all day, you need food in your stomach. So he goes in and of course, as teenagers do, they eat way too much pizza. And he says, Gary, I don't, I don't feel good. And he said, well, I guess you can run to the bathroom real quick before you leave. And as he gets to the hallway where the bathroom is at CeCe's, he throws up everything all over the floor, basically trapping everyone into the bathrooms. <laughs> and then proceeds to go into the bathroom and throw up all in the sink and all over the toilets of the men's bathroom. And so this, this is the worst possible. This is the point of summer camp where I wanted to just turn around on day one and say, we're going home. It's canceled. <laughs> so finally, we get to Mobile, Alabama, where we're staying in the night at another church at about 1 a.m. We were supposed to be there around 7 because we were going to have worship, have a really nice start to camp, take communion together. It was going to be this beautiful evening that ended with, go to bed. <laughs> We'll figure it out tomorrow. It, it was the worst possible start you could ever imagine because it was one of those things, like Ripley was right, if it could go wrong, it went wrong that week, I promise you. I had all of these great weeks leading me up to this one where I knew everything possibly that could go wrong was going to go wrong. And it, for the most part, did. 
But my guess is for most of you, you've had days, events, moments where you had imagined here is the way things are going to work out. Here is the way things are going to go. And somewhere along the way, the wheels fell off and nothing went as planned. Our world is built on that simple principle. That things are not going to work out. That things are falling apart. Things are not going the way they were planned. I mean, any just glance around our world, you see so many things that are wrong. There is brokenness. There is pain. There is hurting everywhere you look. Things are not going the way they should go. The world is not the world as it should be. Which creates this theological question. Why are things broken? And why are things messed up? Why are things not the way they should? And and maybe even that longing of how should they be? Because here's my assumption, is whether you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian or not, you would say this world is broken. Things are not as they should be. And so dealing with the theological question, well, well, why is that? I want to go back to the very beginning that, that begins with God in a garden with man and woman, with his creation. Right? So this is chapter 3 of Genesis, starting in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. And so this is a story that probably, whether you grew up in church or not, you've heard how this story begins with man and woman making the decision to do something other than what God has told them. There, There was a tree in the garden, and God gave them everything in the garden and said, it is yours, I want you to enjoy it, there is abundant life here. But man and woman choose something other than God. They choose something other than the obedience, and it says their eyes were opened. And in that moment, they become deceitful, manipulative, blaming. They start to look around and they start to deceive themselves. They start to deceive each other. They start to manipulate the system. They start to blame one another. They even blame God. Well, God, it's your fault. This woman you put here gave me some of this fruit and I ate it. And this serpent that you put here gave us this fruit and we ate it. They become blaming. And they begin to cover and hide themselves. Maybe one of the the most troubling verses in all of Scripture. They they hear God in the garden. God's walking with them in the garden. They hear Him coming. They hide. 
It says they grabbed some fig leaves and they covered themselves. See, fig leaves allow us to control what other people see. They, they allow us to control what other people see. We're able to hide parts of myself. And you might think, well, I, I don't really use fig leaves to cover myself, but, but my guess is you do. They just look differently today than they did back then. Maybe it's the car you drive. Maybe it's the type of clothes that you wear. Maybe it's the house that you live in. Maybe it's your personality. You're the humor that you have. Maybe it's the way that you're closed off towards other people. But, but inside, all of us have things that we don't want other people to see. We don't want other people to know about. Ways that we manipulate, ways that we blame, ways that we deceive other people. And so they begin to hide themselves, not just from one another, but they begin to hide themselves from God, hoping He will not see who they really are. Hoping they will see, they, He will never see what they've actually done. And, and so theologically, we can say, well, okay, what, what is wrong with the world? What is, what is the problem? What's the disconnect? And I think you can say the world is decaying, the world is passing away, the world is suffering, there, there's this pain, there's the problem. That, why is it the way that it is? If it's not the way that it should be, why is it not the way that it should be? And theologically, the simple answer we would say, well, it's sin. Right? Sin enters the world and creates this problem that we have to deal with. And a lot of times in our culture, we don't talk a whole lot about sin. Um, but I want to go back really quickly as we talk about this idea of new life. And I want to talk about sin and what actually gets us into this point and why things are the way they are. The, the word in Hebrew is kata. The word in Greek is hamartia. And it simply means this, to fail or miss the goal. Like it, it's very basic. It's not even a theological word. It's to fail or miss the goal. But theologically, we'd say, okay, so if it's to fail or miss the goal, what is the goal? The goal is that you would bear the image of God in this world. right? That you would be His representatives in this world. That people would see you, they would see your life, and they would know this is what God is like. That is why you were created that is your purpose in this world. That is why you are here, to bear his image. And, and so many times we think about, well, sin is just the really bad stuff we do, but, but sin is so much deeper than that. Sin is so much bigger than that. Sin in all actuality is the ways that we fail to live up to the image of God that we are created with. It's to live in a way that does not reflect God's image. Plain and simple. That's what sin is. It's to fail to live up to the image of God that was buried within your heart and soul. That you were created to reflect. And I think we see that image perfectly expressed in Jesus. As He perfectly reflects. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know how God responds? Look at Jesus. Do you want to see what breaks God's heart? Look at Jesus. 
Look at Jesus, the one who perfectly reflects the image of God. You think, okay, so if if the problem with sin, if it's to fail or miss the goal of bearing the image of God in this world, what is the problem with that? Here's the problem. Sin breaks down the relationship you have with God, and it breaks down relationship with other people. Right? And plain and simple, sin breaks down the relationship you have with God, and it breaks down the relationship we have with one another. You look at the world. Is the world broken? Is the world hurting? Are relationships fractured? Are people looking to be loved and people included and, and feeling left out? And you look at all the relational brokenness, all the, the it's fractured. And that's the reason why. Right? Because every single day, God's creation fails to live up to the image that was placed inside of us. See, I think we've, we have a problem because the way we try to define sin, well, it's when you say a cuss word or when you do this or when you... No, 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 no. No, it's, it's so much bigger than that. It's not just these individual actions. It's the way that we live and we relate to one another every single day that does not reflect the image of God in those relationships. That does not look like Jesus. So where does that come from? And maybe more importantly, how do we fix it? Like, okay, so if if the problem with all of the brokenness and all of the death and all of the decay in the world is, is sin, how do we fix it? How do we make things right? How do do we reflect and bear the image of Christ in this world? How do we look like Jesus? And and I think part of the problem is is the way that we've always seen sin. Because most of the time, the, the analogy that pops into our head mostly with sin is we need this judicial help. We need someone to step in on our behalf and get us out of the problem that we've worked ourselves into. We, we need someone to be an advocate for us. We need someone to stand with us and help us get out of the mess, right? We need a lawyer. But I would argue the predominant analogy when it comes to sin is not this judicial sense. But it's sickness. That there is this sickness within us that we need to be healed of. We we don't need a lawyer as much as we need a physician. And and yes, theologically, there, there is the lawyer side. I get that. But I think the bigger need is more than that. It's not the lawyer. We need the physician. We we need someone to heal us of the symptoms. We need someone to help fix the problem within. See, when man and woman eat the fruit in the garden, it creates this problem, this separation. It, It creates this divide. 
But with that sickness come symptoms. Right? When, when you're sick and when you're at home and you start thinking, well, i got a, a, a sore throat, we, we start to see the symptoms of something that's going on inside. Right? The symptoms aren't the problem. The symptoms just tell us there is a problem. And because of sin in the garden, they start to see symptoms. Because sin came with a curse. And it's not God saying, hey, you've done this, I'm going to curse you. It's God at the beginning saying, don't do this because there's going to be some things that happen that follow suit if you do this. The, The curse accompanies sin. The curse is a symptom of the sin. That now you're going to have pain when you work the ground and take care of it. You're going to have pain when you have a child. There's these symptoms that are going to come because now your eyes are open. And now you see things differently. And now the world is going to look differently and there's going to be more pain and there's going to be more hurting. So Jesus comes along and he calls this man named Levi. Levi was a tax collector. And he says, hey, I want you to follow me. And Levi leaves everything he has and he follows Jesus. And the very next story, they go and they have dinner at Levi's house. And a whole lot of tax collectors and sinners show up. And they're eating together. And the Pharisees are furious. They're furious because Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and sinners. And what does Jesus say? It's not the the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. See, I, I haven't come here for the people who have it all together and look healthy. Come for those who are sick and they need a physician. That they have this problem and they need to be healed. And the problem is deep, deep, deep within us. The, the problem isn't the symptoms of the broken relationship, right? The problem is the cause of that broken relationship. It's an unhealthy heart. It's a heart that pursues other things than reflecting the image of Christ in this world. It's the heart that doesn't simply pursue Jesus with everything we have. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. See, Jesus comes so that soul-sick sinners, broken by the fall, can come to Jesus and be healed. That they can be given a hand. That they can be touched and be clean. And it's an invitation to come to this one who went through this with us to be a part. See, see, there's these symptoms that came with sin. 
these symptoms that come in a form of a curse, these consequences that came with it. See, here's what happens in, in chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, right after they've sinned. And after he had drove the man out, places him on the outside of the garden, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming, flashing sword, sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden. And this began man's journey eastward. Because in Scripture, one of the things that you'll see is this idea of the direction of east represents us moving away from the presence of God. That as we began moving east of Eden, we began moving further and further away from the presence of God. Right? The last couple of weeks we talked about Moses found the greatest thing he could ever imagine. Greater than the promised land. It was the presence of God. And here you begin this journey, moving eastward further and further away from the presence of God. And so this first family begins to live together. Adam and Eve and these two brothers, Cain and Abel. And they both offer sacrifices. Both of the brothers offer sacrifices. And they have a little fight like brothers tend to do. But the result of that fight is Cain kills Abel. So, think about this. Sin is failing to reflect the image of God in this world. And the result of sin is it breaks down relationship with God and it breaks down relationship with others. Cain kills Abel because he's angry. He kills Abel because he's angry. And it fractures their relationship and it fractures the relationship between God and man. But right before he kills Abel, I want you to listen to what God says to him. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin, and this is the very first time it's used in Scripture, Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So Cain, Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And man begins to move further and further and further east. Until God calls a man named Abraham out of the east and says, I'm going to start this new community of people that's going to be different than all the other people in this world. Because this is going to be my people and their goal in this world is going to be a blessing to those who don't know me. That's going to be this new people and the whole world is going to be blessed because of them. And you ask, okay, so, so what's the problem with sin? What, what's the big deal? What, what does humanity need? Maybe that's the greatest question we could ask. What does humanity need? Humanity needs a physician 
who can heal us of our sickness. Humanity needs a physician that can heal us of our sickness. See, because you wouldn't want to go to a doctor who just simply addressed your symptoms. You, you don't want to go to a doctor who says, we're just going to take four leave every single day and the back pain, you won't even feel it. You want to go to a doctor who's going to say, okay, there are some root issues here that we're dealing with. Right? Here, here's the, the very first doctor, psychotherapist. No more back pain, right? right? You, you don't want to just deal with the symptoms of the problem. Think, okay, you treat the symptoms. Listen, you treat the symptoms and you get some relief. But if you treat the root of the symptoms, you will experience freedom. If you treat the symptoms, you're going to get some relief. But if you treat the cause of the symptoms, you experience freedom. So we don't need someone just to deal with the symptoms of sin. We need someone who's able to heal the source of the pain. And the source of the pain is so deep within us. It's this heart that pursues other things other than God. It's this heart that, that continually chases after things that we think are going to satisfy. That we think are going to lift us up. That we think are going to make us happy. Our, our tendency to want to be on our own and do it by ourselves. Instead of turning back to the one who's able to heal. And the one who's able to give life. We need a physician. So, real quickly, I want to go back to a prophet. Actually, forward from Genesis. But a prophet named Ezekiel. And he has this encounter with a man of God, son of man. And he shows him the temple. He takes him. And I want you to listen to the narrative as it unfolds and talks about this, this amazing thing that Ezekiel sees in this world. So Ezekiel 47, starting in verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. Why? Because east is away from the presence of God. So the water's flowing to the east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out through the north gate, and he led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side, verse 3, and as the man went eastward. So this son of man is calling Ezekiel. He's saying, come, come follow me. And he steps into the water. And as he steps into the water, it's just trickling out of the entrance to the temple, flowing eastward. And he says, come on. And he measures out a great distance and he follows him. He says, come on. And he, he walks a little further and now it's up to his, his ankles. 
and he measures a little further and he says, no, come, come on, come deeper into the water. Now it's up to his knees. And he measures out another great distance and he says, come, come follow me. Come into the water. Now it's up to his waist. He says, no, come, come a little further. Now it's this great river that's flowing into the land of the east. And now it's such a great river that they can't stand in it. They, they could only swim across. No one could stand. And I want to pick up in verse 6. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. Swarms of living creatures... Excuse me. Sorry, I forgot I did that. So, so where the river flows, everything will live. Verse 10. Fishermen will stand along the shore from the Ian Getty to Il Eagleim. There will be places for the spreading of nets. The fish will be um, of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Verse 11. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. In verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be served for food and their leaves for healing. Ezekiel said, there's this, this river that's flowing out of the temple and it's flowing into the east. And everywhere the river flows, there is life. There is new life. And the further east the water goes, the deeper it becomes. And the deeper the water becomes, the more vibrant life around it becomes and the more vibrant life around it becomes, the more abundant the grace of healing becomes. That the river has a purpose. That the river would bring healing to this world. The, the river would bring life to this world. And the same invitation that Ezekiel had to walk into the water is the same invitation that you and I have. To walk into the water and into new life. Because everywhere the river flows, life is abundant. And life is vibrant. And life is bringing healing into this world. See, and I think he's very, very, very purposeful in his direction. The river's flowing east. 
because the river is bringing the presence of God into a world that is dying and decaying and inviting people to find life along the banks of the river. Inviting you and I into the river to be healed, to become whole, to find the presence of God in the waters. I want to listen to this invitation from Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. When I spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy, listen, listen to me, and eat what is good. And you will divide, delight in the richest affairs. Come. Come to the waters and find healing for your souls. Come drink from the water of life and find healing for your heart. Come and be healed of the sickness. Because here's the beauty. It's what Jesus promises is that His Spirit, when we enter into that water, that His Spirit would come inside of you and recreate you from the inside out. That He would heal that broken, hardened heart and give you a new heart. A heart of flesh. A heart that looks more and more like the presence of God in this world every day. And that's the invitation. If you've never given your life to Christ, come to the waters. Come to the waters and find healing for your soul. But maybe for some of you, you came to the water a long time ago. And you need to be reminded of what it is that Jesus did for you in the water. That He gave you a new life and a new start. And every day from that moment forward, all it meant was you had to say, God, I need your presence again. I need to be recreated again. And that invitation was continual day after day. And we get so run down because of what we see in the world around us. Can I just remind you of the healing you found in the water? Whether that was a week ago or that was 60 years ago, God is continue, continuing to heal you through the water. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the water. Father, we thank you so much for this gift. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the invitation to step into the waters of baptism 
to step into this new life and this new world that was created through your power and presence and strength. Father, thank you for redeeming us, for loving us, for saving us, for calling us your children. We thank you for the healing power of the water. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our shepherds, their spouses are going to be in the back of the auditorium. If we could help you in any way as you follow Jesus, we would love to do that as we sing.